Ready for the word this morning. We're so fortunate uh, from the great city of Philadelphia, birthplace of Rocky Balboa, you know what I'm saying? Home of our Super Bowl champion, Philadelphia Eagles. That's right. Come on now. Come on. You know, if you just booed for the Philadelphia Eagles, we still invite you to Broad Street this February for our Super Bowl party. It's our year. Hey, listen, I'm so excited. Uh, I don't, if you were there last night, don't say the Cowboys. You just might as well leave. Um, just kidding, just kidding. Hey, listen, uh, we just want to let you, last night, Pastor Ray led us uh, in communion. Uh, he's been part of our family uh, behind the scenes and up front for several years. And tonight, you just get to hear his heart as he shares with us God's word and helps shepherd and pastor our hearts. So give him a nice warm welcome this morning, please. Thank you. I hope y'all ain't leaving. Everybody turned around there. I saw everybody's back for a second. Hey, look, it's good to be here. I've only got a few minutes, so I'm excited to get with you in the Word. Um, if you have a Bible, you're probably going to want to grab it. If you don't have one, just write something down so it looks like you have one. And when you get home, Google, Google what I was talking about and make sure you're on the same page. But, man, I want to I tell a whole bunch of stories in the midst of that and try to get us somewhere. God, I pray that you would just bless what's about to happen here. Father, thank you for the way the morning has gone so far. Thank you for the fact that you're present on the side of this mountain. God, I pray that we would enjoy this time, but I pray even more than that, we'd enjoy time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so at my house, we play a lot of games. And one of the games that we play at my house pretty often is who's better, Who's better? Now, that could be because I have four kids, and so they're always competing with each other. But more specifically, I bet you probably played something like this. How many of you, like, have tried to compare what hero is better than another hero? Anybody ever do that? Like Marvel versus DC? Anybody do that? So, like, in my house right now, there's a little bit of a debate between Batman and Iron Man. How many people would say Batman is better? Who would say Iron Man is better? How many people have no idea what I'm talking about? Okay, there's some people there. Okay, here, here's one that's a little more competitive. I think that one's actually a slam dunk. Here's one a little more competitive. Spider-Man and Aquaman. Uh-huh, uh-huh. How many people Spider-Man? Yeah. Aquaman? Not as competitive as I thought. Okay, all right. Well, you can see that in our house we kind of have these, uh, we have a little bit of a conflict about who is better. Let me tell you when I met my first hero, when I heard about my first hero, the first hero that I, that I gravitated toward who did not wear a cape or a costume. It was 1984 and it was February. I was in the first grade and my teacher began to tell us a story. She told me a story, she told us all a story that really connected to my core. It, it was a story about hope. It was a story that kind of captured all of us, but, but specifically, I was drawn into it in a way that I wouldn't understand for the next 20 years. For the next 20 years of my life, I would remember this story, and I couldn't quite understand why. The story went like this. I'm happy to join with you today in what will go down in history as the greatest demonstration for freedom in the history of our nation. Five score years ago, a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. This momentous decree came as a, as, as a great beacon, a uh, light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who have been seared in the flames of withering injustice. It came as a joyous daybreak to the end of the long night of their captivity. But 100 years later, the Negro is still not free. 
100 years later, the life of the Negro is still sadly crippled by the manacles of segregation and the chains of discrimination. 100 years later, the Negro lives on a, on a lonely island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. 100 years later, the Negro is still languished in the corners of American society and finds himself in exile on his own land. And so we've come here today to dramatize a shameful condition. In a sense, we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check. When the articles of the Republic wrote the, wrote the uh, magnificent words of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, they were signing a promissory note to which every American was to fall, fall heir. This note was a promise that all men, yes, black men as well as white men, would be guaranteed the unalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It is obvious today that America has defaulted on the promissory note insofar as her citizens of color are concerned. Instead of honoring this sacred obligation, America has given the Negro people a bad check, a check which has come back marked insufficient funds. But we refuse to believe that blank, that, that, that the blank of justice, that the bank of justice is bankrupt. We refuse to believe that there are insufficient funds in the great vaults of opportunity of this nation. And so we've come to cash this check, a check that will give us upon demand the riches of freedom and the security of justice. We've also come to this hallowed, hallowed spot to remind America of the fierce urgency of now. This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or, take it or, or, or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. Now is the time to make real the promises of democracy. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. This sweltering summer of the Negroes' legitimate discontent will not pass until there is an invigorating autumn of freedom and equality. 1963 is not an end but a beginning. And those who hope that the Negro needed to blow off steam and will now be content with will, be, will have a rude awakening if the nation returns to business as usual. And there will be neither rest nor tranquility in America until the Negro is granted his citizenship rights. The whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundations of our nation until the bright day of justice emerges. You might remember how the rest of this speech goes. I also remember when my earliest days of my faith, I remember being a part of a little tiny church, and I was 16 years old, and, and I noticed every time my pastor would preach, he would stomp on the floor a little bit, and I couldn't understand why he seemed like he would so... I hope I'm not messing up your stage when I do that. I, I, but he was so excited to stomp on the floor. It wasn't until later on I found out why he would stomp so violently when he was preaching. You see, he had uh, a group of ladies in the church that he called prayer warriors. And uh, they met in the prayer closet that happened to be right under the pulpit. 
And when he would begin to preach and he would feel as though he was wrestling in his spirit to communicate the truth of the gospel as if people weren't leaning in because they were distracted by things crawling on their legs or flying around their heads, he would stomp on the floor and the ladies underneath would begin to pray. And as they lifted up their prayers, they would know, he would know that he was being, uh, he was being emboldened. The word of God was going to go forward to the furthest points in that room. So I remember the heroes in the closet below. I came up in the 80s and 90s. Any 80s and 90s people out there? How many of y'all have to Google that because you were not around by then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of y'all not around? Okay, all right, cool. So I came up in the 80s and 90s. In the late 80s, in the late 80s, there was a commercial that swept our nation. It was a commercial that had this, 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 um, his airness. His airness was, was, on, was the star of the commercial. And then there was a bunch of kids, probably about 100 kids in the background of the commercial. And every one of them had a basketball in their hand. And they would dribble to their left and they would take a hard stop and they would cross back to the right. And as they took their last dribble, they would begin to soar through the air. And you would hear this jingle in the background. Like Mike, if I could be like Mike. And it was the introduction of Gatorade. Gatorade came around in its favorite green and orange colors before all those others came about. And every one of us would, in the back of our minds, say, that's me. Like, I want to be like Mike. I want to be, I want to fly through the air. I mean, we all, I, mean I, was, I, was, I was like four foot nothing and round, and I, I was sure that I could dunk a basketball, right? Like, all I wanted to do was be like Mike. He was the one I was going to emulate, he was the one I was going to look up to. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Tonight, this, this morning I want to I share with you a little bit about who it is we actually look up to, who the heroes are in our life, and what's needed for us to walk faithfully with God. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes this letter. He's writing to the church. Specifically, I'm saying this to you. He is writing to Christians. It's like he was standing at creation and saying, I'm speaking only to those of you who are in relationship with God. Those of you who are actively engaged in the church, that's who he's writing to. He's not writing to the masses. He's writing specifically to people who count their lives tied to Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, he says this. He says, therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ. Let me stop. If you have any encouragement, why would you have encouragement? You have encouragement because you're tied to Jesus. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being tied to Jesus, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion is in you, then make my joy complete by being like-minded having the same love, being one in spirit and one and of one purpose. Paul says to the church, he says, look, if you're tied to Jesus, then number one, you should be encouraged by that. You should find comfort in his love. You should recognize that you're tied to Jesus because of the emblem of Christ that's on you, the spirit of God that's in you. And as a result, there's this new thing in you, tenderness and compassion. Tenderness and compassion kind of boil up out of you because of the presence of God in in you. And then he says, church, then make, make my joy complete. Finish my story. How do you do that? 
Be like-minded. Be of one love. Be of one spirit. Be of one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain and conceit. Rather, in humility, value others more than yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of the servant, being made in the human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death that would take him to the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence but now much more in my absence, he says this, if you write in your Bibles, I would underline this phrase. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and with trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So Paul starts out with this idea of noting that a very, uh, casting out a very wide net. He says, basically, if any of these things are true for you, if God has done something in you, he would be like, if God's done something in you, stand up. If, if you know God's love, stand up. If, if the spirit of God is present in you, stand up. If your life has changed and there's a tenderness and compassion about you, stand up. And if he said those things, all of a sudden the church would begin to pop up like popcorn and everybody would be up on their feet. And he would say, now all of you who are standing, I charge you. To be of one mind. I charge you to be like-minded. And you would say, well, 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 I don't know what that means to be like-minded or to be of one mind. I mean, she's different than me and he's different than me. I wanted Aquaman and I thought Spider-Man. You know, my superhero wore a cape. His superhero didn't. Like, I don't know what this means to be like-minded. Paul says, okay, no problem. Let me explain this to you real quick. Here's how you test your like-mindedness. Are you of the same love? Are you of the same love? In other words, God has called us to love God and love. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I should have said this at the beginning. So I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, and I, and, I, and I pastor a church in Philadelphia. And in my church, we have taught, because it wasn't natural for us, we have taught our people that when, when the preacher preaches, the congregation speaks. All right. Now I know, I know you're on on the sun side, and and you know I know you're wearing, you know, but but when I pause in those moments, I'm looking for you to say something back. Okay. All right. We got three people in the crowd today. All right. All right. So the rest of you, you can warm up. You can warm up. You can whisper to your neighbor, "Amen." Or if it sounds like it's a question, you can fill in the blank. That's okay. So here's what Paul says when he says, be like-minded. He's saying, be of one love because God has called us to love God and love. Yeah, you might have said people. You might have said others. You might have said the person next to me. You might have asked for somebody's phone number. It's cool. God has called us to love God and love others, right? And then he says, like, being, being like-minded also means this. It means that we're governed by one 
spirit. And that spirit is the promissory note that comes when we enter in a relationship with Jesus Christ. By the way, here it is, real simple. You want to say, am I in relationship with Jesus Christ? There's one way to know for certain. Does the spirit of God live in you? If the spirit of God is not present, your relationship with God is not solidified. Right? Does the spirit of God live in you? Are you marked by the spirit of God? So be of one love, be of one spirit, and then be of one purpose. Be about my Father's business, right? As the church, the things that matter to us are actually the things that matter to God. He decides what's important. He creates the value list. We carry that forward. Right? If we're people of God, then we walk forward in relationship with God, caring about the things that God cares about. Are you telling me that's how long I went or how long I have? I'm with you. So here it is. So here it is. So we get to care about the things that God cares about. This is Paul's charge to the church. Be of one love. Be of one spirit. Care about the things that God cares about. And then he ends that passage in the part, the part that I told you to underline. He says, continue to work out your salvation. Here's what that means for us. Church, you might have prayed just yesterday on the side of the mountain at an altar call with, with Reed. You might, have, you might have said, hey, I want in. And you ran down to the front and went to the prayer to the big tent in the back. And that was, that, that, that's the entry point for you. That's not the end line. That's the starting line. Right? When you, however it was that you found yourself saying, Jesus, I need you, that wasn't the end point. That was the starting point. And Paul says, here it is. Here's your next step. Press in that you might grow. Continue to emulate after Jesus. Look to the cross and the one who went there and begin to affix your life that it would pattern in that direction. I started at the beginning by talking about heroes. There's a hero whose name you may or may not know. Ever since that day in 1963, the story has been told about a young gospel singer who had been present on tour with Martin Luther King Jr. And when he got to the spot in the speech where I stopped, if you go back and listen, you can hear this soft, small voice in the background. Her name is Mahalia Jackson. And she says these words. Tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And so even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream that is deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its decree. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream. That my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will be, not be judged by the color of the skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. 
I have a dream that one day down in Alabama with a vicious racist, with its governor having its lips dripping with the, with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and little black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and little white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. Martin Luther King had a dream, and he shared it. And we still, to this day, live in hopes of seeing that dream come to fruition. But I tell you something, Martin Luther King's dream, which we now know and has gone down in history, was empowered by Mahalia Jackson in the background saying, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. My pastor's preaching was empowered by the lady sitting downstairs beginning to pray harder and harder that somebody would be listening. This morning I want to give you a couple steps that I think will help you as you take your next steps with Jesus going forward from here. So if you're going to follow along, let's get there really quickly. Creation, I urge you. It's time for us to stand up and be Christ-like, to be witnesses of the gospel. We gather together on the side of the mountain, but it's time for us to run back to our towns, to our villages, to our cities, and to be the Christ that somebody will get to see. We can do that because we know the harder we stomp, the more people are praying. We know that there's somebody in our corner who's whispering, tell them about the dream, tell them about the dream, tell them about the dream. We know that even though we debate back and forth about who is greater, we all have a picture of who we want to be like. It's not like Mike that I want to be. It's like Christ. If I could be like Christ, we need someone to spur us on. We need someone to pray like a warrior below the pulpit. We need someone to set the example for us that we can run in that direction. So will you be that someone? Will you go forward from this side of the mountain? Will you live in such a way that people see you and they say, I don't know how to be like Christ, but I can be like him today. And he's living for Christ. I can be like her today. And she's living for Christ. Paul said, if you can't see Christ, see me. Follow the way I'm going because I've got my eyes fixed on Jesus. Will you go forward from this festival this year and say, like Christ, I will be like Christ. <laughs> Friends, if you don't yet... I want to encourage you. Timothy had a Paul. MLK had a Mahalia. Who do you have? Who is it that is setting the example and spurring you on? Grab a hold of somebody here at the festival. Say, can I stay in touch with you in such a way that you can help me know how to walk for Jesus? Grab a hold of somebody when you get back home and say, can I, can I connect with you in such a way that I can be spurred on in my faith? Because, see... God's given me a dream, and he's given you a dream, and he's declared upon us that we would live that dream out. And that dream is quite simple. It's like a 90s jingle. Like Christ, together the church will be like Christ. Let me wrap this up for you by saying this. Hear the words of Mahalia Jackson calling to each one of us. Tell them about the dream. Tell them about the dream. Hear the words of Paul calling out to us to the early church saying, 
continue to work out your salvation. Be stirred up in your faith. And then hear the words from this Philly pastor standing here on the side of the hillside of Pennsylvania reminding you that you are an image bearer of the resurrection hope that can only be found in Jesus. Now get on your feet and go. Get, don't leave yet. Brian's coming. But get on your feet and go. Live faithfully. Stand for the gospel. Encourage someone to walk with you. And when they can't see the cross, keep your eyes fixed on it because when they see you going, they're going to follow in your direction. I believe that God is going to move. I believe that God is going to awaken the crowd. I believe that God is going to call someone to their feet. And I believe that the Spirit of God desires to use you to win the lost. Church, let's pray together. Father, Father, we need you. Father, we believe that you and only you can empower us to take the gospel to the ends. God, I'm so excited to worship with friends. I'm so excited to sit under the teaching. I'm so excited to be encouraged in my faith. But I'm equally as excited for Sunday to come so I can get out of here and get back to some people who don't yet know you. And I can be around people who are lost and who need to know the hope of Jesus. I'm super excited to walk in my grocery store and down the, down the streets in the, uh, of my town, God. I'm super excited to bump into somebody that I've got rapport with and be able to say, hey, would you follow me because I've got my eyes fixed on the cross and I'm heading there and would you come along with me because I believe God that you want to win the lost. I believe God that you want to awaken the church and I believe more than anything that you've told us today you love us and we're going to continue to work out our salvation by walking in your direction and let the people of God who believe in that same dream stand to your feet and declare a loud amen. Amen. Come on, come on, stand up and say amen to the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Amen.